Welcome to the New Books Network. This is the Nordic Asia Podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia Podcast, a collaboration sharing expertise in Asia across the Nordic region. My name is Julia Heinle. I'm currently the publishing assistant at NIAS Press and a master's student of political science at the University of Copenhagen. Today, I have the pleasure to talk to Peter A. Jackson and Benjamin Baumann, editors of our newest book, Deities and Divas, Queer Ritual Specialists in Myanmar, Thailand and Beyond, published with Nias Press and available for sale worldwide by the time you listen to this podcast. Peter A. Jackson is Emeritus Professor in Thai Cultural History in the College of Asia and the Pacific at the Australian National University. He has written extensively on religion, gender, and sexuality in Thailand, as well as on critical approaches to Asian area studies. His recent book project includes Among the One Presented Today, Spirit Possession in Buddhist Southeast Asia, which he co-edited with Benedicte Brac de la Prairie, that constitutes a companion volume. We will hear more about that later. Benjamin Baumann is assistant professor at the Institute of Anthropology at Heidelberg University in Germany. His research examines rural life worlds, sociocultural identities, and local language games in Thailand's lower northeast, focusing on how the ghostly affects the imagination and reproduction of social collectivities. Welcome, Peter and Benjamin. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Julia. Yeah, thank you for having us. So your book, Deities and Divas, investigates the prominent roles gay men and trans women play in spirit medium cults in Southeast Asia. Before we dive too deep into the content of the book, can you explain to us what it is exactly you were looking at? What are spirit medium cults and how do they manifest in the region? Okay, thank you, Julia. I would like to start. This is a big question without necessarily an easy answer, but I will try to break it down a bit to give um, the listeners uh, an understanding what the book maybe is basically about. So what we call spirit medium cults is maybe best described as a diverse social religious phenomenon that varies across the region and it is therefore kind of hard to get to the essence, but I will try to do a bit like this. So what we're basically talking about are worship groups that congregate either around the person of a spirit medium, place, something like a shrine, or a superhuman being, like a deity, uh, a spirit, a god, a ghost, yeah, various superhuman beings. And spirit mediums are ritual specialists that serve as vessels for these superhuman beings. And these superhuman beings enter the body of the spirit mediums during possession ritual. During these rituals, the human's agency is replaced by the superhuman's agency and the members of these worship groups use these ritualized events to communicate with the superhuman being through the medium's body. When these mediated interactions between worship group and superhuman being are institutionalized over time, we speak about the formation of a spirit medium cult. However, the notion of cult is an ethic category and it does not necessarily have equivalence in many Southeast Asian languages. Or if it has equivalence, these equivalents are frequently recent constructions that were formed in Southeast Asian languages to describe the phenomena under the influence of theories from the West. 
So the word cult is a bit problematic, but nevertheless, it is the best concept we have at hand at the moment to describe these diverse phenomena in which humans channel non-humans or superhumans in the context of certain rituals and thereby allow other humans to communicate or access the superhuman realm. That would be my attempt for a really basic outline of the phenomena. Peter, I don't know whether you would like to add something to this. Just to add that the phenomena that Benny has described is nothing strange or unusual in mainland Southeast Asia. In Myanmar, in Thailand, in Vietnam, Cambodia, this type of contact with the superhuman realm is a widespread phenomenon. And the type of deities involved is very diverse. Sometimes they are Chinese deities, sometimes they are hero figures from history, the spirits of kings from the past. Sometimes they are the ancestors of villagers or local people. There's a very wide, diverse range of the superhuman beings who are contacted and whose advice is sought. So the people contact these beings in order to seek their guidance in their lives. As Benny mentioned, it's a widespread phenomenon across the region. It's very diverse and it's institutionalized. There are shrines, there are locations where these events take place. And it's very, very interesting and increasingly widespread. And what's interesting, particularly coming back to the focus of our book as well, is that this phenomenon is not decreasing. There have been arguments over time that the more modern society would become that these type of inverted commas magical phenomena might decrease. But it hasn't happened at all. In quite the converse, as societies have crossed mainland Southeast Asia, have become more involved with the capitalist marketplace, with new media, this ritual contact with the superhuman realm has actually increased in many, many places. So that's just mm -hmm. a broader context to the situation. Very interesting. The dominant religion in both Myanmar and Thailand is mostly Theravada Buddhism. Can you explain how spirit mediumship or spirit cults stand in relation to that? And then maybe as a second question to add on to, how did you both get involved in the research on these spirit medium cults? Okay, I will start again. And maybe I will start with a second question and then come to the first question. I did my fieldwork in a rural village in Thailand's lower northeast, which is a region of Thailand that used to be the poorest region of the country. And it is mainly beyond all the touristic treks through Thailand. So it is a really remote area. And I went there with the intention to study how what Peter said in inverted commas, magical rituals kind of uh, contribute to the reproduction of a ethnic identity because the people in this region speak a different language. They speak Khmer, this language of Cambodia and not Thai. And so this was my starting question. And yeah, I was looking for these magical rituals and I was also looking for spirit mediumship. But I knew from the literature before I went to the field, I knew that These rituals, of course, Buddhism is everywhere and that these rituals are not so frequent or are supposed to be not so frequent and that the mainstream Thai society, because it is Theravada Buddhist, looks down on these magical, pre-modern, superstitious practices and the general attitude of the society is a bit negative. And these were my expectations when I went to the field. But then I arrived in the field and on my second day there, I saw the first big spirit medium possession ritual. And it was like right in my face and it was there and it was not hidden or a secret event. It was totally open and it was no problem for me to go there. The people were happy that I was interested in these practices. And the thing was, it happened next to the Buddhist temple and also the Buddhist monks, although they didn't participate in it, they nevertheless had a look at it and were kind of aware of it. So it was just right there. I didn't have to search for it. 
it was there. Coming back to the first part of the question, this is also maybe an answer to this question, although it is a totally complex question without an easy answer, because the relationship of Buddhism or Theravada Buddhism, state-sponsored Buddhism, I mean, we also have to say in Thailand, we have multiple Buddhisms. Yeah, There's not just one Theravada Buddhism, but there are multiple Buddhisms, and these multiple Buddhisms deal differently with these practices, magical practices of which spirit medium cults are one manifestation. But this relationship is kind of contested. And nevertheless, it is open. And it is really a hard question to answer generally, I would say, because we have to look at concrete places. And I'm an anthropologist, so this is my approach to look at concrete contexts and see how it manifests in concrete places and in concrete situations. And there we see that maybe to generalize that orthodox, modern, rationalist Buddhism tends to condemn these practices. But on the second hand, that everyday lived Buddhism in Thailand is able to incorporate these practices under an umbrella of Buddhism, Buddhist religion, Certain beings that are channeled in these possession rituals can be incorporated into a larger Buddhist pantheon, others cannot. So it is, on the one hand, a contested relationship. On the other hand, it is an unproblematic relationship. And this seemingly paradoxical situation characterizes what we may call the religious field in Thailand. These seemingly contradictory currents yeah, in the religious life exists in parallel without that the tension between these currents needs to be resolved. Mm -hmm. This is my attempt to give a bit of an answer. But Peter certainly has to add something to this. I'll answer the second question first as well. My previous research was on two different dimensions. I was interested in monastic Buddhism and its history in Thailand, but also in new cultures of gender and sexuality, new gay, lesbian and transgender cultures in Thailand. So I had two different streams of research, which really, in a sense, did not intersect very much. I came to be interested in spirit possession, which was more later in my career, basically because of the gender dimension of it. So, for example, most of the ritual specialists of spirit possession are usually lay people. They're not Buddhist monks. Historically, in many situations, they have been women in villages in Thailand, often older women, not always, but often mature women. And what is interesting about the actual possession ritual, if a woman, for example, a human being, is possessed by a male spirit, during the actual moment, during the actual possession event, the gender of the spirit, of the male spirit will become dominant. So the woman who is the human being, who is the vehicle for the spirit, will perform, will enact, will speak as a male being. So there will be, in a sense, a performative trans cross-gendering in the ritual event. And this is taken for granted. This is not seen as anything unusual, whatever. Similarly, if there is a male spirit medium who was possessed by a female deity or spirit, he, that is he, the male person, will perform the femininity of the female spirit and speak as the female being. In a sense, my interest in both religion and gender came together with the awareness of spirit possession because this seemed to be, from a Western point of view, which not from a Thai point of view, but from a Western point of view, it seemed to be a queer event. Something queer was going on, that there was a cross-gender aspect to this ritual communication with superhuman beings and entities. The other reason I became interested in this, even though I had begun work on Buddhism, was I mentioned earlier that the phenomenon of spirit possession has not died away. If anything, it's become more visible on the television, in radio, on the internet, 
prominent, important spirit mediums in Thailand, in Myanmar and other countries across the region today use the internet. They have on Facebook, they communicate with their followers through the new media. And new media has facilitated the further expansion and interest in this phenomenon. Another element that has taken place is that in the past, this was often taking place, these rituals in a subsistence economy. The rituals would take place in various locations. There would be ritual exchanges of gifts or goods, in a sense, taking place as part of the ritual event. But what taken place in the last maybe 20, maybe at the most 30 years, but increasingly in the last decade or so, is that this phenomenon of ritual has become commodified. So there is exchange of money taking place as well, that often spirit mediums who in the past were perhaps part-time ritual specialists, some of them become full-time now, and their services can be purchased, can be bought by those wanting to participate in the rituals. So we have three intersecting elements here. We have the interesting element of gender taking place in this, often a cross-gender element. New media has facilitated its expansion, as a, or it's, at least it's reaching new audiences, and this become commercialized or commodified in parallel with the rest of the Thai and the rest of the Southeast Asian economies. So there's been a fascinating, interesting intersection amongst all of these different elements in the phenomena that we're looking at in the book. Interesting to hear about these developments that intersect and then facilitate spreading of the spirit possession rituals. Peter, you already touched upon this. A fundamental part of your book is gender dimension and specifically how these spirit medium rituals provide space for queer identities. Can you elaborate more on that for us? There are really two aspects to this. The one which I mentioned just previously is, is how in the ritual event itself, when the gender of the possessing deity or spirit is different from that of the human medium, then the human medium will perform, will enact, will express the gender of the deity. And there's been some limited research on that in the past. So one of the reasons we wanted to focus on this is that this element of cross-gender aspect of ritual has not really been given much focus. It has been an element, maybe it's been a footnote, it's been a comment that's been made in previous studies of spirit possession rituals in Spain and Southeast Asia, but it wasn't always given a primary focus. So we wanted to make gender, in a sense, and particularly cross-gender in that situation, an important focus of the book. The second element to this, this question is a new phenomenon, which we didn't get touched on in this, these other transformations of media and capitalism. Queer identified people, human beings, that is, people actually have either a trans identity, usually a trans woman, or a gay male identity, have become more prominent, more visible as the ritual specialists for these deities. In the historical records we have of spirit possession rituals across the region, there have often been notes about you know, transgender or gay or homosexual people who are involved as ritual specialists in these activities, in, either in Burma in the past or Thailand or elsewhere. But the previous records that we have, at least until the last 20 or 30 years, tended to indicate that they were often a minority, that these were not the major, the most important ritual specialists, that often in many situations, particularly in Burma in Thailand, until recent decades, it's often been women and often mm -hmm. married women who are often who have been mediums for ancestor cults, for ancestor spirits, etc. But in parallel with the impact of new media, with the internet, etc., in parallel with the commercialization of these rituals, that is, people becoming professional full-time ritual specialists as spirit mediums, in parallel with that, and we don't quite know all yet, but has been this increasing role of people who have new queer identities. So that in places such as Burma and Thailand, 
there have always been some people who have not quite fit into the traditional gender roles of male, female, masculine, feminine. But in the last period, in the last 30 or 40 years across the region, these people who have not fitted into traditional gender roles have had an increasing range of new identities have emerged, whether it's trans identities, gay identities, lesbian identities, etc. And so what has been happening in this phenomenon, in these ritual situations, is that people, human beings, who are taking on identities such as gay man, identities such as trans woman, have become more prominent and are sometimes more important as the primary ritual specialists for many of these cults. So that our book is looking both at two dimensions. It's looking at how in the ritual event itself, cross-gender expression takes place. And secondly, why is it that queer people, in inverted commas, and I'm using that as an overarching term to describe people who don't fit heteronormative identity categories, are having increasingly prominent roles in these cults and achieving respect so that followers who are often heterosexual men or women are giving respect to these queer people in their roles as ritual specialists for these deities. So there's a fascinating intersection of spaces emerging, apparently, for queer people to find an expression of their difference, of their sex gender difference, but also to achieve some sort of social recognition as ritual specialists, which is not possible within the Theravada Buddhist domain, which is often, it's been men who have fit normative masculine gender roles, uh, basically in Thailand and Burma, the only people who are allowed to become fully ordained monastic in those in Theravada Buddhism. So their queer people and women have often been excluded from that. So these type of ritual phenomena are providing fascinating spaces for gender sex diversity to find a space within society. Very interesting. So we are also interested in how you went about in structuring the book. It's generally divided into two big sections, but maybe you can let our readers know what they could look forward to. So the book, in a sense, is divided into two. I mean, the first part is an attempt to recap, so to speak, the current literature on queer gendering. I'm using, I'm using the word queer here in a way that wasn't used until recently. So many of the early reports from 30 or 40 years ago don't use this word at all. They use other words like homosexual, trans, vestite, etc. But I want, we wanted to bring together what the previous reports of cross-gender ritual performers are in the region and what sort of studies there had been on this. And also to bring inverted commas, mainstream anthropologists who have been working on spirit possession rituals into discussion with this to perhaps focus on the gender dimension of their research, which they may not have given greater prominence to in the past. There's a chapter by Benedict Bracler-Perrier, who I co-author the other book on spirit possession in Southeast Asia with. And Benedict has written on spirit possession in Burma, Myanmar for many, several decades now. But she had never quite given the gay or the transgender element of her research a prominent place before. And so I invited her to look back over her research and to, to think about that. And she wrote about a gay man who was involved with a gay NGO in Yangon. So there were other authors like this who I wanted to bring the element of gender to the focus of their research. The second section of the book, in a sense, is to try to bring queer studies and religious studies into more open conversation. But there seem to be, at least phenomenologically, parallels between a drag queen on stage performing, channeling a, a famous singer or female singer or actress, and the performance, the presentation of the spirit medium who is presencing, who is bringing into the world contact with a supernatural being. So I wanted to bring these two, yes, 
drag queens are in a very secular situation. They're not imagining themselves as contacting the spirit domain in that sort of sense. But the presencing of another gender format or ritual situation is very, very similar in these two, two situations. So I was wanting to bring together a queer study emphasis on perhaps drag queen performance and anthropological studies of the ritual event of cross-gender elements in order perhaps to think through what are the issues going on here? What are the parallels? And I think this book, in a sense, is an opening discussion. There are many more issues to be explored, and there's ongoing research on, on these topics at the moment. But I think one of the interesting things that does emerge is that the very notion of dramatic performance, of ritual, these are important things to think about in how we present our gender to the world, how we present our identity, that there are even though a drag queen performance on a stage in a gay pub or bar may seem totally unrelated to a spirit possession ritual when one is contacting ancestor spirits or maybe a Chinese deity. These might seem to be totally unrelated, but actually in other ways there are very many interesting parallels taking place. And in both domains, people who see themselves as not having mainstream heterosexual identities are in a sense central to both. So it's a matter of bringing this queer identity, this queer performativity to the centre of discussion and to see what the parallels and intersections may be. Can I refer to Benny, perhaps? Yes. He has yeah. some interesting observations from his village of queer people in the Buri and his, his research village. Maybe you could just anecdotally, Benny, give an example of your experience of these phenomena in, in your village. Yeah, maybe just really quickly. I mean, I started my research without having gender or queerness as a topic in my mind. I was not thinking it will become important for my research. But the thing is that when I was in the village that I was immediately struck by the visibility and omnipresence of gay men and trans women in these rituals. And basically all the spirit mediums I met at the beginning, these publicly visible, professionally performing spirit mediums were all gay men or trans women. And first I thought, oh, this is a speciality of the location where I'm at. But then, and I knew the text that it was mentioned in the literature and that just what Peter said, uh, transvestism, and they were called transvestites and stuff. I knew this, but I didn't expect it to find it. But then I became increasingly aware that it is not just a local phenomenon, but that it is something that is going on in Thailand. And this sparked my interest. And I'm still doing uh, research on it. And there is this point that the more I look at it, the more I saw exactly what Peter mentioned, that spirit possession rituals are opening up spaces for queerly identifying persons in rural contexts to actually have a space that is queer friendly in the sense that in these contexts, they can be as queer as they want to be. And this is in normal or in everyday rural Thai society, this is not possible to this degree, as we may expect. Even though Thailand is modernizing, everyday Thai society, rural Thai society is really heteronormative. Although queer people are visible, their everyday lives are complicated by their queer gender. So in the past, many queer people left the rural context and move to the cities because they expected that it would be easier for them to live their queer identities in the cities, which in some cases probably was also not true. And they experienced similar problems in the city that they experienced uh, in rural context. But nevertheless, this opening up of these new queer spaces allows queer 
people to stay in rural contexts. This is at least like my latest research, what my latest research revealed. There are really totally queer worship, what we call cults or worship groups, lineages where nearly all members are either gay men, trans women, or older women. And heterosexual men are basically absent in these cults. Yeah, so this is really a, a phenomena. I cannot say it appears to me to be a new phenomena, but my research lacks the historical depth to be actually sure that it is like this, but I assume that it is a recent phenomena. And I talk to spirit mediums who self-identify or who are not always sure how they self-identify. They all say they are gay men and some say they are trans women or use the Thai word kateri, but they are sometimes have difficulties self-identification according to this multiple queer categories we now have in the West and that also exist in Thailand. But what I experience is that most people are happy to self-identify as Gatoy, which is the Thai term for queerly identifying people, usually trans women. And, and they are really happy to have the space of the spirit medium cult to meet with similar-minded people, people with the same problems, to have a space to not only perform the rituals, but also to have a communal space to be queer, openly queer, and not to try to perform according to a heteronormative society that demands in certain public contexts heteronormativity and also forces queer people who want to dress as women in order to, for example, make a living in certain businesses to dress like a man just to be able to yeah, have a job. So this is, I think, what is fascinating about this, how these, what we would call religious sphere opens up a new communal space, really identifying people. This is what interests me and uh, what I will continue to do research on. There's definitely a lot going on and also a lot looking forward to, I can tell. So I'd love to pose more questions now and dive deeper into the content of your book and what of your research. But unfortunately, the time is limited and we don't want to keep our listeners too long. So maybe as a last question and also as a roundup for both of you, as we are also a publishing house, we're of course interested in how you experience the process of being an editor of the book, compiling different chapters that come together. Would you want to share that with us? Bringing the book together in a sense was to have an ongoing conversation with the contributors. As I mentioned, some of the contributors have done research on spirit position cults in the past, but had not really focused on the gender dimension, and they had not really engaged queer theory or queer studies in the past. And also on the other side, there were some contributors had worked on queer studies, but not really in a sense engaged issues of spirituality or religion. So it was a matter of bringing together two different fields, so to speak, which have not really engaged very much academically in the Western Academy in the past. So as an editor, I uh, was trying to get people to think about both these points of view, both of these areas. So this was, in a sense, an attempt to build conversations across disciplinary boundaries, to bring religious and ritual studies into conversation with queer studies, to see in the context of mainland Southeast Asia, in the context of cults in Myanmar, in Thailand, but also we refer in the introductions to Vietnam as well, where these phenomena are also visible. An editor is, in a sense, bringing together a range of conversations and to try to get authors to see a bit more, to say, give us a bit more of a description, give a bit more of an analysis, to take your analysis a little bit further. And I, that's one of the things I find most interesting, to help shape an element, a uh, discussion, and to bring chapters together so that they come together on a similar theme across the book, so that different focused research merge together 
to bring a coherent presentation. Yeah, maybe I can add something to this. It is just as Peter said, I'm an anthropologist and I'm an example of what Peter described. The whole gender dimension, it was there, but it was never in the center of my attention. As a heterosexual white male, I saw these queer dimensions, but it's not part of my everyday life in Berlin where I'm living. And also my research, I never had these questions for queerness and non-heteronormativity. They were there, but they were never central to me. But then I was in Thailand and then I experienced it. And then I also experienced the challenges it means because of my positionality, my self-identity to do this research. And I consider this a continuous intellectual challenge and also a personal challenge because it is a topic that fascinates me. And at the same time, I'm also the whole time in a conversation with myself, with my positionality as a researcher and how to bring all these points together is, is a challenge. But dealing with it and thinking about it is something I benefit from a lot as a person, not just as an anthropologist, but also as a person. The book we have compiled now, I think it is really a crucial contribution because ever since a book like this was lacking, we only had these footnotes yeah, and never a whole book that is dedicated to the phenomena we are describing. And I think these phenomena deserve to move into the, the center of the scholarly attention. The phenomena we're describing in this book, they are so much under-researched and there are so many open questions that I think the book raises and the individual chapter raise that needs to be further discussed. And I really hope that some people feel inspired by the book and will take this book as a starting point to enter into dialogue with us and into dialogue with each other. And really, I hope that also the disciplines that we are addressing will also enter into dialogue because the social dimension of the phenomena we're discussing is so broad that it really needs to be studied in detail. And it deserves to be studied in detail. Thank you both, Peter and Benjamin. If this has sparked your interest, you can find the book Deities and Divas, Queer Ritual Specialists in Myanmar, Thailand and Beyond in our NIAS Press webshop. We post the link in our show notes and you can also follow NIAS Press on our social media channels to stay updated. So I want to thank you again, Peter and Benjamin, for joining me today. My name is Julia. I've been talking to Peter Ray Jackson and Benjamin Baumann, editors of our newest book, Deities and Divas, Queer Ritual Specialists in Myanmar, Thailand and Beyond. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, Julia. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast. <laughs>